Hi, I'm Julie Costanzo. I'm from Strasbourg University and I'm interviewing Professor Leon Sange today for the Radiation Research Society. Um, Professor Sange did his uh, BSc in University of Laval in Quebec, then uh, followed by a PhD in Yale University and he became professor at University of Sherbrooke. So, hi Professor Sange. Thank you. Well, here. thank you for inviting me to say a few words. <laughs> so, can you talk about your career? In yes. Uh, well, just in just to make it into a, <clears throat> in a few words, uh, what I did basically in my career was to uh, try to find out and understand how uh, electrons of low energy, and that means energies which uh, are lower than about 100 electron volts, uh, how these electrons would interact with matter in general, but more specifically with biological matter in the later part of my research and in the former part of my research in, in simple system, but always in the condensed phase except uh, for my PhD degree, which, uh, which I did, uh, as you mentioned, at Yale University with a man called George Schultz, uh, who was at the time the world expert on interaction of low energy electrons with molecules uh, which were isolated. This is electron molecules interaction is completely isolated. That means you're studying gases. And at the time, that he, uh, I arrived, he just had discovered uh, one of the very basic mechanisms of interaction of low energy electron with ma matter. Uh, and this was that uh, for a molecule or an atom, the electron uh, is uh, captured temporarily uh, by the atom or the molecule for a time which is much longer than the usual scattering time. And this uh, creates a transient negative ion. Uh, this basic principle of transient negative ion was quite important, and at the time he, he was nominated for Nobel Prize to have found this. Uh, but unfortunately, he died a, f a few weeks, uh, not a few weeks, but uh, a few years after, before uh, anything happened. I don't know what would that have happened, but I think it was seen there as a very uh, basic contribution in physics at this time. So that's where I started uh, my career, uh, doing this as a PhD student. Okay, so you got your position in the Department of Nuclear Medicine and Radiation Biology in, in Sherbrooke. So what, what happened since then with the low energy electrons? Well, uh, yes, I got this position. Uh, it was not my intention, I have to admit, to go in medicine <laughs> or anything that had to do in medicine because this was the Faculty of Medicine. Uh, but uh, um, they had a big project in Sherbrooke and I had a flat tire with my car, so uh, I stopped uh, at a friend uh, in Sherbrooke uh, just before they, just during the time they repaired the tire, you see. And, uh, and he had this position for a, a professor uh, that would uh, lead a project uh, to have a cyclotron. But this was in 1970, and uh, nobody really had a cyclotron in the faculty of medicine. 
this, uh, you know, a medical cyclotronic, the, the term uh, did not even exist. So, uh, the, so then, uh, anyway, I think uh, me, myself and, uh, and other people in the department, including a few other physicists, we wrote what I thought was a pretty good proposal to get the cyclotron, but the government didn't think this was very serious, you know, to have a bunch of physicists who wanted to have fun with the cyclotron. Uh, <laughs> in the faculty of medicine, you know, no. <laughs> so that didn't work. And, and this is how, what started the low energy electrons in a way. Because then uh, I said, what am I doing here? You see, because this is nuclear medicine and uh, I think uh, there's no big project, so I'll just go somewhere else. So, but this was nuclear medicine and radiobiology, in which, as you know, there is radiotherapy. And at that bedtime, they told me, well, you see, if you want to stay here, you have to do something. <laughs> because I was not doing very much then. Uh, I was looking, what do I do here? And they wanted me to do patient planning and this sort of thing. Uh, and I said, uh, I didn't want to do that. You know, that was not my, my career goal. And, but, but I look into it, you know, and I said, my God, I don't think we really understand what is going on there. So. Uh, so then I, I, I look at it from the start, you know, we have, we produce ionization, it's called ionizing radiation. So you produce ionization, so you have an ion and you have a secondary electron. So I made a quick calculation with the Born approximation and so on and from this simple calculation found out that uh, most of the electrons would have an average, well, most of uh, the average energy of the distribution of the secondary electron would be about 10 eV. Mm -hmm. Okay, and later this was confirmed by uh, Laverne and Pinblatt in a very sophisticated calculation, or at least m much more than, than mine. Uh, and later I found out that there were quite a few, well, there was some physicists in the field that clearly had identified this as a, a, a major issue in, in uh, radiation physics and knew that. But many people had said this is very important uh, to study low energy electron, but, but there was nobody who actually did it, you see, and, and this is my career is to actually do it, you see. So, uh, so I started, well the problem was I had a good background, but it was just in gases. So I had to, to start studying in condensed matter because humans are condensed matter and complicated condensed matter also. Uh, so I had to start with simple system in condensed matter. And so what I did was just to, uh, to build equipment because this was all new because nobody had tried so far or maybe they tried but it didn't work because I didn't know of anybody who had done experiments with in condensed matter with low energy electrons. So actually, so then I had to build a, a, a equipment to do that and I did that in Sherbrooke. When I arrived in Sherbrooke, of course, in the hospital, there was, it was worse than a cyclotron. I think there was really nothing to do this. But this I like because I like to build system and so on. Uh, so uh, I started to buy specialized equipment to do these experiments. 
So uh, your question is, what did I do once I'm in Sherbrooke? So uh, what I did is for about 1980, I, I would say, uh, or maybe a little bit, no, I was in 19, maybe 75, yes. it started. And uh, from, this 19, uh, from this year, from that year, uh, then I started to, to build the equipment and do experiment in simple system and try to <coughs> and started to discover <coughs> very basic rule on how low energy electrons interact with condensed matter. And this lasted at least until 1995. So 75, that's 20 years just doing that. So uh, I think the financement was, uh, the people that financed me were patient enough uh, that I'd say one day we can study biomolecule. But I had also funds from other sources because it's, it was much more easy to apply these interactions to other systems which are more simple than biology. Biology was the hardest, yeah. right? So there was nanolithography, there was astrochemistry, uh, there was uh, dielectric aging uh, for high voltage cables. So I did research in many fields where this could be applied. And today these fields are developing or they're already well developed. And this was taken up by other group because my goal was to study yeah. biomolecule. So, so this is the, the, the this first step. And, uh, uh, would you like me to continue or you have uh, a specific no, question? Um, yes, I have other questions. So I met you in, in Sherbrooke a few years ago and you're working right now more uh, about biological systems. So what, what, what is exactly your, your um, I don't know, like your experiments with DNA and... Well, that's it. Uh, in 1995, then we started to build some equipment to be able to work with DNA and, and large biomolecules. And uh, in, as you probably know, in the year 2000, we had an article in Science yes, that, said that, that shows very specifically that uh, these uh, electrons could damage DNA, which people thought before they wouldn't do anything. Uh, and not only that, but we showed that as a function of electron energy, it had a, a very strong oscillation in the yields of damage. And that was, uh, was due to the presence of uh, these uh, transient negative ions in the DNA. So yeah, they were there in the DNA and we had the background to explain a lot of the physics that came after it. So after from 2000 to very close to now, I would say, uh, I should say now because the, the basic work is always continuing. What we did is we applied these basic principles that were studied before in simple system to big uh, molecules uh, in biological systems and com in combination of molecules and so on. And it's quite interesting, it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, and that's why I just stick to that. Because, you know, if you take a high energy electron, for example, that's just a very ch fast charged particle. If you take a fast proton in proton therapy, it's just a fast-moving particle. And fast-moving particles behave like electromagnetic radiation because the molecules see a very fast-moving charge and that produces electromagnetic radiation. So finally, uh, there, 
I didn't find that very interesting. But once you look and you see the distribution of low energy electrons and that this is the important part, uh, another very important part with the ion that produced the radicals in creating the damage, and you see that this has never been studied, and, it on, and also it's very interesting because this, is, this electron now has a wavelength which is of the order of the dimensions of the DNA uh, and even the interstrand uh, distance and the distance between the radicals, uh, not the radicals, but the, the, the small subunit in the DNA, then you have all kinds of quantum effects because of this wavelength and it becomes really tricky in a way, difficult to predict, but you have all kinds of nice phenomena that you find in solid state physics that you would find also in the DNA. For example, we find that one of the major mechanisms to break a strand in DNA is not a direct hit for the electron, but rather a capture by the base, which then transfers the electron uh, to the phosphate unit. And it, now we know, more recently, we found that the, the transient negative ion can be created in an excited state, and sometimes the excitation, the electronic excitation, and the electrons separate. So one is causing one strand break, the other is causing another strand break, and then you get a double strand break. So all these things are coming in and explaining uh, how, uh, how these secondary electrons, which most of them are of low energy, are creating the damage. And uh, so I think your question is more uh, when you were in Sherbrooke, uh, you see that we're much more biological now yes. in what we do. Animals exactly. Well, that cancer. I saw some of your students working on that. Yes. Now uh, we even have a, a protocol now and money f f to do uh, research with patients oh, right. from these basic principles. Oh, but but this is the whole idea: is that um, we are absolutely convinced that there will be a lot of application of this, but it takes a lot of time. You see, it's not even in the textbook now that this is not just OH radicals and, and a few radicals created by the initial ion that you get in the beginning, but you also have these electrons, you see? So before everybody starts to think about in, the, in terms of low energy electron, it will take time to really get uh, there and, but, but if you think about uh, the, the, the application, uh, there is a general application, I would say, which is simply, uh, we generate, for example, the cross-section, that is the probability to create certain damage in DNA or with a particular uh, subunit of DNA or other biomolecule. And this is just to give uh, the parameters for people who are doing Monte Carlo calculation to put in the Monte Carlo. But if you think that most Monte Carlo calculation, I think, stop around 20 electron volts, uh, well, they're missing a large part of the deposited energy that could do a lot of damage, but it's just not there, right? So in doing this, uh, so this is the, you know, any radiotherapeutic treatment should include in the dose calculation, some good Monte Carlo calculation, uh, that has the, the values of the parameters uh, and the damage created by low energy electrons. I agree, there's lots of work to do in this so, particular. Yeah. 
this is a more of a general way to look at it. In the most, but it's not very spectacular. It's just the advancements of science. Uh, but the the, the uh, how we're going to apply these basic yeah. mechanisms, I think it's only starting. It's the tip of the iceberg of what we yeah. did. And one of the things we looked at is chemoradiation therapy, because if we measure the yields of DNA damage without a chemotherapeutic agent like cisplatin, mm -hmm. uh, or uh, we also study uh, oxaliplatin and other platinum compounds, uh, they bound to DNA and the, the, the probability can go up for certain damages as much as a factor of three. Now this is enormous, you see. So this shows the, the advantage of, uh, of looking at the details with low energy electrons. And it may be responsible for uh, the effect uh, which is super additive when you use radiation and chemotherapy uh, chemo, uh, uh, because it, it's not linear because of this effect of low energy electron. I, I, is there other effects? I don't want to say it's just that, but, but we've shown that there was a big effect here. But the question is, this is not going to convince biologists, right? <laughs> so this is where the biology uh, experiment came in. Okay, because if what we're, if we're, what we're seeing is true, uh, this these negative ions do damage on a time scale of femtoseconds, so it's extremely fast. If it's another mechanism saying that the cell is weakened by the chemotherapeutic agent and so on, it's biology, and that takes over times of weeks, uh, sometimes it could be, it depends, could be hours, could be minutes, could be years, we, we don't know, it depends. But, uh, but this is instantaneous. And what this is telling us is that if effectively these low energy electrons are there and they are doing the damage, then the best chemoradiation therapy could be done when the amount of, of uh, of the chemotherapeutic molecules, uh, their amount would be maximum uh, bound to, uh, there would be maximum binding of these molecules to the DNA of cancer cells. Mm -hmm. so, so this was the experiment that you know about that we did with uh, TTIP on uh, using the ACT uh, colorectal cancer cell, human colorectal cancer cell, uh, that were uh, uh, transplanted in, in mice. And there we look in the literature to find out when this, where it was this maximum. And we found all kinds of data, but nobody had ever measured where is the maximum of binding to DNA. <laughs> so we, we did it. And we found, I think it's something like uh, 36 hours or something like that. Maybe uh, it's not the exact, but it doesn't matter. There is a time where the maximum, you have a maximum of binding of, let's say, cisplatin uh, to DNA. So we, then we, used, we, we irradiated many mice at different times, and we found out that the best uh, treatment was exactly when it's maximum in the cancer cell. And so it's no definitive, definitive proof, 
but it, it correlates very well with the basic science. So there is a, a time window where the radiation is uh, right. efficient, more efficient. Yes. Okay, that's great. So do you have any other details that you want to talk about? Well, I think uh, the other thing where, where this is going, yes, well, chemoradiation therapy, I think we have to do more than just uh, doing dose calculation because the dose is the same mm -hmm. if you have a chem chemotherapeutic agent. So in terms of dose, you say the treatment is the same, there's no timing, there is nothing. You calculate the dose, the traditional radiotherapy, and the, the patient receives chemotherapy, is the same thing. Okay. okay, now we have a, a clinical protocol where we're going to test at different time also to see if we can reach in humans this, this maximum. But, but the, the other thing is that there, one other thing which is becoming more and more uh, popular is to go to targeted radiotherapy. Mm -hmm. uh, because what you want to do in targeted radiotherapy is to have, uh, to send the radiation uh, with a, a particular um, vector molecule directly on, uh, to bind to the cancer cells. And uh, in the very sophisticated ones, it could enter the, the, the membranes and actually go in to, to, to the DNA or very close to it. And, and if you're that good, and if you, this is just more or less of a dream for the moment, but, but if you can push it to this level, this means that you'll be able to use OJ electrons. Uh, that, and these are most of these are very low energy, so there's not even a question of saying, well, high energy radiation produces low energy electrons. They're all low energy, uh, except for there are, of course, some are KV and so on, but uh, these, uh, even at, the, at this energy, the, the amount of secondary low energy electron which is produced is just so dense and tremendous. So there, there would be an application because what those means at this stage is not very important in the sense that, well, you can calculate, first of all, you, you may want to calculate the dose uh, at, in this microscopic volume that you have, or nanoscopic, uh, but you may also want to just tell how much DNA damage is going to be, which might be uh, more significant. And, and so uh, I can see a lot of development there, and, and this is a field in which we are we are working now. So you are, you're, you're working uh, with radiation, kind of internal radiation and uh, imaging, molecular imaging, for example, or not? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, this is... So both program. diagnostic and... Yes, we, st we started with, we didn't start with, with OJ electrons. We started with, with fluorinating label compounds and with uh, FLT, uh, uh, with fluorouridine labeled with fluorine, and, and, uh, and we, with this, we, and this we is, goes into the metabolism of the cell, and there's quite a bit in the nucleus, goes in the nucleus, and, and so uh, this, we use the, the, the positron, which are emitted as a way to, to, um, uh, to damage the cell, to, to, to do the radiotherapy. And the, the annihilation of the of the positron gives you the image, so you have both. 
but what you have also is uh, a very short distance, so you can treat locally as long as it gets there. But what we do is we believe in um, a condu conduction enhanced delivery, which, is, which means uh, the direct injection of the radioisotope in the tumor. And this is a practice which is uh, more recognized in chemotherapy, but I think that why not do it also with, uh, with radiotherapy. Uh, and, and on that, we have, uh, well, we submitted an article recently there to uh, uh, Nature Medicine on this. Uh, and so uh, uh, there might be uh, some interesting uh, experiment to be done in, at that level. But I think it's, it, it, it's only starting, and, and if I'm, I'm going to summarize everything that I did, uh, not, not, that, not that I did, but, but maybe that what I said. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, I think that uh, it's, you know, I come here, and I see, well, it's true that I'm maybe not that that good at understanding all this biology. But I see, I come from here from here, for many years. I came yeah. in the beginning, I think it was 1980, I came first to a radiation research meeting. And it always gets more and more complex, the add more. Somebody finds this, but it's gonna influence this, but then if we take out this, it's gonna do that. Because, you know, and the role of the physicist is to say, well, all this is, comes from one basic mechanism or a few that then automatically give you all the rest. Now this is the physicist's point of view. Uh, but of course, there are other point of view. We say either you go from simple to complex or complex to complex. Uh, that's about the way I see it. And uh, I'm sure that this must not, maybe not the right way to see it because I come here and it's always more complex. To me, maybe I'm wrong, it's getting simpler. Uh, but, but I think that we should have a direction from the basic science and at least we should have the very basic interaction of radiation with matter. We should get that right. And what it produces, uh, these primary particles, the first one to be produced by the high energy radiation, what do they make? What do they produce in the cell? Okay, once we have that, I think the subsequent chemistry is already there. And the biology too is there. It's just we say, well, we do this, we irradiate, and we have this biological effect. We don't worry about what's in between. And more or less the same for the chemistry. So, but the funny thing about this field, we don't know how it begins. It's a bit like the creation of the universe, right? You know, we know a lot of detail about how we live here on Earth and how things are organized, how people interact and, and the planet and all that. But how did it really start it? Okay, so in, in radiobiology, we really know how it started. You know, we know this ionization and so on. But these primary particles, how do they trigger the chemistry? And we have some big idea and now I think we understand much more, but still, the big question now is, now that we have this understanding, we may have to gather more information, okay, but at some point we may be able just to link the whole field together. But at least we should know what's in the beginning. So don't, don't forget about physics, that's right. It, 
we well, yes, because maybe it's a message for radiation research. <laughs> but I'm sure it would go up uh, again, and that this field will progress very, very strongly in the next 20 years. It's just it goes back and forth. You yeah. know? <laughs> so, but you we, we all hope that this progress will be made in the radiation research yes. society. <laughs> so what a, an outstanding career. Thank you very much for telling us about it. So well, it's been my pleasure to come and say a few words about this. Thank this you. Work. Thank you. But uh, maybe I should mention one thing, though, that this has not been done alone. And uh, I had many people as chemists and, and, and a few radiobiologists, you know, in the department, people like Darlan Ting and uh, Richard Wagner, Benoit Paquette, you know. These were people that, uh, with whom I've worked and now Brigitte uh, Guérin and so on. So, so it's, it's impossible to, to, to do this and link it to biology or chemistry without having a a group of people, and I think this is more and more integrated now, the research in the radiation, and, and uh, I'm very uh, confident that this will progress quite enormously in the future. Great. Thank you very much.